There we go. Hey, what's up? What's going on, man? Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Nice to meet you. I'm Sam. David, yeah. I'm uh sorry, let me just get my shit all set. But uh no, it's a it's an honor to talk. I'm a I'm a big fan, so I'm happy to have you on. Yeah, man. Thanks for reaching out. Uh, you said, or I read that you're in Austin. I do. I live in Austin. I've lived here 20 years, basically. Oh, really? So I was just mm-hmm. down there for the first time. I've never been. I'm a comedian, and I know the comedy scene down there is big. Oh, yeah. I think it's blowing up, I hear. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know if you know the rapper Danny Brown, but um, he lives down there, and he's a friend of mine, so he invited me down there to check out the scene and everything. Oh, cool. How was it? I haven't got I'm going literally next month and then oh, I was you're coming here. Okay, got and it. And I was reading all your uh all your interviews. I saw that you were from there and I was like, oh mm-hmm. shit. I need to I need to ask him about it. I feel like it's been known as a comedy town for a while now, but it's I think it's growing even quicker. Right? Yeah, during COVID, faster. I feel like yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was less strict down there. So then the comedy just kind of blew up and then all the comedians moved down there. That's funny. How do you feel about the like influx of people moving into Austin? You know, it's bittersweet because when you lived here uh, 20 years ago, and then obviously even before that, um, there were people talking about the good old days, right? Yeah. But it was just a, it was a sleepier little town. And, you know, there was a little bit less traffic. And I mean, there were, you could definitely tell like when the um, university kids were on vacation or something like that, it just felt like the whole town opened up. Yeah, uh, there weren't there weren't lines to get into restaurants or anything like that. But now it's just like a big city, you know, does that like did you like it because it was small? Like <laughs> I liked it because the rent was cheap. I mean, that's why I lived here and yeah. I um, I chose not to go to L.A. or New York so I could just have cheap rent and make my own projects and work. You know, I didn't have to make a lot of money to live here um, and I could work as a filmmaker and, you know, uh, corporate video maker or whatever I used to do and yeah. uh, but now it's the rent is very expensive so um, for burgeoning artists I think it's more difficult to make their way you know yeah so okay so the comedy scene blew up there how does the how does the the film scene like did that did it affect that at all <clears throat> I'm actually not really sure I think Austin has always had um, a very steady steady stream of micro budget filmmakers making content here, making movies, um, and, and then submitting them to festivals and stuff like that. And then they've also had, um, a pretty steady flow of like professional Hollywood, um, TV shows filming here and, and bigger movies. Um, but not as big as a a place like Atlanta or something like that. That's like a real production hub. Yeah. So then how did you get into making like, you know, something like a major motion picture living in Austin? Yeah, I mean, got lucky, man. <laughs> really. <laughs> Isn't that what uh, it is? Because, yeah, I mean, it is. It is. It's always, I mean, you work real, really hard and then it, it doesn't matter how hard you work. Like you have to have that right person to identify you and give you a chance. Yeah, and that's really what it was. Um, I made a, a micro budget feature film called Tejano. Yeah, great I'm, movie. I, I watched it uh, after I watched Texas Chainsaw. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I made that actually in 2015. I shot it 
in South Texas on the Mexican border. Um, but what I used a lot of Austin crew and I, I, I released it in 2018 and then came out on HBO in 2020. So yeah, that that's was surprising. A, you said 2015. Yeah. It's just a long journey of like a low budget movie where I didn't really have the money to, um, no one was financing the movie, so I couldn't just work on it straight. I had to make the movie with my, I, I spent most of my own money on that. And then I took a break before editing so I can make some money again, like <laughs> going back to work. Yeah. Um, and then I just did post-production very slowly over the course of a couple of years, which is very common when you just don't have someone financing a project. Um, and then, you know, I just took my time with it. Right. And then released it. So why did you make it on your own budget in the first place? Um, well, you know, there's a couple of reasons. Mainly, I just, I guess I didn't try hard enough to find financing. Uh, I went to a couple of different producers, production companies. I got turned down two or three times. And I'm, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not like a salesperson. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's easier for me to make movies. I can go and I can go shoot and direct and, uh, and handle logistics and stuff like that. But to like ask for money is like very hard for me, you yeah. know? And so I just was like, part of being uh, an artist. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I can make this cheap. Um, I made, I shot it for $60,000 and I, I had that in my bank account because uh, I've been working as a corporate, you know, commercial director for a long time. And I was able to make some decent money in Austin mm -hmm. um, to save up. So that's what I just, so I decided, you know what, I'm not going to have anyone over my head telling me what to do. I'll just do it with my own money. So but what about that project? What about it? Like, why, why did you say, well, maybe I was turned down, but I'm going to use all my savings to make this movie. I mean, I, I just knew that I wanted to make, I want to, I want to make movies and I, I need, I needed to make a, a film. I mean, I needed to make a calling card movie and I was passionate about that story because you know, I said it uh, in a place where I grew up on South Texas on the Mexican border. Um, I put a lot of my own DNA into that story. Yeah. Um, that was, I hired a screenwriter to write the script and based on my idea and he did a great job. And then I was able to take that, that draft that he did and put some of my own personal experience in there. Um, not that I was ever smuggling drugs for the cartel, but like <laughs> I was about to be like, damn, I'm just saying, but like the character and like the, on the run right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the character and just like his, you know, he has a, he's a white guy was like a Mexican grandfather, you know, that's very much my experience. And, and, uh, so I don't know. Uh, I just, I just needed to make that movie when you're a filmmaker, when you're an artist, sometimes there's no real reason why you're making something. You just have to do it. Like you feel a compulsion inside you that has to get out. Right. Yeah. And I can't really explain what that, I can't explain why we do these things. I, my, like I'm a podcaster and a comedian. So I like to overanalyze things and that mm -hmm. like that thing that pushes you to take yourself seriously, not for the first time, not for the first time, but you know what I mean, is something that I'm so interested in, in creatives, because mm -hmm. come to you and a, every person has a different story for it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know why people do what they do, like, or why, like, maybe some people want to get famous or rich, but 
mm-hmm. this is there's better ways to do to get famous and rich than to do this crap and, uh, <laughs> and like sometimes i wish i didn't have this compulsion to make movies because it's like the hardest art form yeah if i was just happy drawing or something like that i i can draw and i can paint and i can do other things if i was happy doing that then uh it would be a lot easier you know are you spiritual in any way like no not really mm-hmm. i mean i've read i've read a lot about spirituality and uh yeah grew up going to a church and stuff like that i'm open-minded to those kind of concepts but i don't think i'm like practicing no because i i don't know i'm the same thing with you it's like this podcast has taken off more than my comedy ever took off but i'm a comedian at my heart like that's what the universe tells me so it's funny to hear Mm -hmm. you say that because it's like no matter how hard it is no matter if i get a hundred thousand views and then i go bomb in front of five people the bombing in front of five people Mm. makes me feel like a more fulfillment right exactly and you would do it no matter what right yeah did you feel fulfilled when you made it yeah absolutely but the thing about ambition is that you're never fulfilled right (laughs) there's always the next you always have to do more you have to do next project and um and films are just so difficult, right? Yeah. yeah. The turnaround on it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of time you have to dedicate to the art. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot, especially with my first movie, which was I was like producing. And then um, there's no one telling you when you when you're, you know, when you're the top dog on the film, like you're the boss. So no one was telling me to finish the movie. I, I had the hard drives. <laughs> like I had, to, if if it was going to get done, I had to do it. Down to everything, um, like sub adding subtitles to the movie. Like I had to do the subtitles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, what you did know? you not expect? Like going into it and then coming out of it. What did you learn as a filmmaker? I mean, it probably would have been easier to make a short film. like uh, a lot of a lot of directors getting into the game by making proof of concept short films and like doing a a number of those to prove that they can do a certain style or whatever i probably should have done that why didn't you i don't know i just there's something about the way my mind works and i a feature just seemed more correct to me and and uh, i just wanted to make a movie like a feature that's just what i've always been my goal you know yeah so so it comes mm. out it comes out five years after you make it like officially <laughs> yeah yeah what's that feeling like are you excited are you like finally it's fucking it, this chapter's closed <laughs> like i mean it was it was fantastic i mean it was such a slow rollout too because we re- we premiered it in 2018 at a film festival and they did a a year of going to festivals, really small film festivals, which didn't really necessarily change anything in my, in my life. Um, but then we got a sales agent that made the sale to HBO finally. And, and that's where it came out in 2020. Yeah. Um, which was so surprising, you know, and to be able to have people that had HBO, it was like HBO Latino and they could turn on the TV and my movie was playing. You know, yeah, it was like a really cool feeling. People were sending me pictures of their TVs. 
And as you like said, that. it was all because of you. Like you had to, at the end, if you gave up on it, that would have never happened. Yeah. And I mean, it was all because of me, but then I was introduced to some guys and some people in Hollywood that were able to introduce me to that sales agent. And he was the one who made the sale. Yeah. And I couldn't have done that without those connections. Right. I mean, I made the movie and that's about as far as I could get it. Yeah. Uh, I did have a meeting. Someone did show it to some people at Lionsgate and I had a meeting at Lionsgate about it, um, but no one picked it up um, there. Yeah, that must be. I mean, how do you feel about like giving up the control then? Like letting like giving up control on a project and letting other people do it when it's your baby. It's it's a little strange, you know, and then you sign these contracts where they don't pay you any money for the movie, but then they get like a big percentage of the sales. Yeah. And you're so like, did you, make, just, did you not make your money back on the movie? No, I did not. I've probably made 50 to 60 grand. Back. Wow. And that's just what but you spent on. The movie costs maybe a hundred, 115 at the end of the day. Wow. Um, if you depending on how I want to do my Hollywood accounting. Yeah, no, but, I feel you. Yeah. And that's cool that you still feel like a passion for it, even in the release. Like that's what you're talking about. That the the voice in your back of the head that you don't know what, but you just have to push it. Mm-hmm. So how did yeah. that go to Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Um, I you know, it basically someone at Legendary Studios saw the film. So I saw Tejano and uh, earmarked me as an interesting director because they they heard the budget. I did it on a very low budget and it has some some action scenes in it that are, you know, they're fairly well done considering if you consider my budget and how fast I shot it. I shot it in 23 days, you know. Are you kidding um, me? With a crew of eight people. Wow. So, I mean, there's a lot of locations, there's a lot of set pieces and things going on. So yeah. it's like, you know, if you know about filmmaking, it's, it's a, an impressive achievement. Um, if you just look at it as a film, it's a small movie, you know, but someone there saw me and then they, they invited me to pitch on a project at, at Legendary, which I did. And this was in July of 2020. Um, they had a project that they thought was a right fit for me. I pitched on it and then they brought me in to start developing that with a screenwriter. And then it wasn't a month later that they decided to part ways. You know, they had created differences with the directors who were currently directing Texas Chainsaw Massacre that was in production in Bulgaria. And I was uh, brought in to replace. Did you... How did that conversation go? Was it something you were excited about? Was it something you like, did you like that franchise? How did that? I had never thought that I would be, that would be in my second movie, you know, like that franchise is, you know, well-respected. I mean, I grew, you grew up in Texas, you, you know about the, the legend of that movie. Um, a lot of my favorite filmmakers, Stanley Kubrick, Ridley Scott, Spielberg, they all respect the hell out of that first movie, Texas Chainsaw, and they all talk about it in interviews and how much it changed filmmaking. Um, I had to study so it in college, yeah. 
yeah there's like a reverence for that movie and I, but it was just never something that i thought i would be a part of and um i was i mean shocked when i was when i heard that news you know i couldn't believe it did it come out of the blue and it came out of the blue out of the blue like the call yeah and, and it was about maybe 12 to 24 hours where i didn't know if it was really going to happen and then it happened and three days after that call i was on a plane <laughs> to bulgaria yeah wow how far into production yeah. were they when you came in they were they had shot for five or six days okay and they put the production on hold so that i could come in i had to quarantine and then i had to go and i had three days to go and see all the sets in the back lot and the locations and all the props and meet all the actors and all that stuff how much so, had been done in those five or six days five or six days worth of, of shooting but uh i ended up reshooting all of the scenes except for one that mm. there's one of their scenes in the in the in the in the movie that i released but everything else we reshot where was your creative control? Like, did they tell you, all right, this is our vision and this is what we want you to do? Or did you go in and just be able to do what you wanted with it? Yeah, I mean, there's the, you know, a director has so much power in a way because it is about every, every detail and perspective. It's like about perspective. And there's really no one on set that has more control over the perspective of a film than the director. I mean, you have a lot of collaborators, you have a lot of artists um, working on the film, obviously so many creative voices, right? Yeah. But it all has to funnel through and channel through one person. So you, I had a ton of creative control in that, in that sense. Um, maybe I not as much going in late, like, yeah, it's not, no one was telling me how to shoot it or anything yeah. like that. I, I, you know, I had full creative control there. I mean, but oh, there were things already in place, you know, like the mask had been designed and the costumes and the wardrobe were pretty much set and designed. And I didn't want to deviate from that because then that, if I had to use their original footage, then how you can't just change the costume from one scene to the yeah. next, you know. Was the um, script changed at all? Yeah, we did. Um, I talked with Fede Alvarez, who was the producer, um, creative producer and, you know, we talked a lot about the script and he basically ran me through page by page, everything that they were thinking. And then I was able, they gave me the draft and I was able to like go through type and, you know, change scenes that, so they made more sense to me. And yeah, um, there, were, there were a couple of, but I didn't want to make any big changes. It were all really small things because if you make a big change, it ripples throughout the whole script. And now you have to change all these other things. And we were just already, we were already in production and shooting. And I just, we didn't have time to be making those big changes. Um, so I, uh, but I, you know, they did let me change a couple of things just so it made more sense to me. And uh, what else? Um, I was able to cut a couple of scenes that I just thought these aren't going to make it in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah um these these are these are for the cutting room floor and i was able to say like let's cut these two scenes and i ran it by everyone and they said yeah um but that the reason i wanted to do that was just to have more time to shoot like the rest of this of the movie because there was a lot of demand for practical gore and practical blood um, people don't 
like CGI, you know? Yeah. So we're trying to get as much in camera as possible. And the sacrifice to do that is like time on set. It takes a lot of time to set those things up and to get it right. And then to do a reset if you need another take. And so I just like looked at all those action sequences and the set pieces like the bus massacre and stuff and said, well, how can I get more days to shoot this? Um, yeah. So that's why I was, I was compromising and I was sacrificing other scenes and things so I could get more time. How do you do the scene like the bus scene then with practical gore? Um, <laughs> uh, very, very tediously. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, main, the main problem with the bus scene was not so much the gore. Um, it was like the, the COVID safety. We had to, like, it was such a small and enclosed space that we had to clear the set every hour or so for 15 minutes, I think, to, you know, uh, sterilize it and air it out right so it was huh even after you've all quarantined to get like yeah it's yeah even though we quarantine and everyone's testing every two days and everyone's negative we still had to do these safety precautions because it was just like a very strict time to shoot and so sometimes i would go in there and i have 20 extras and some stunt people and i have um, people with blood cannons and hazmat suits and I have two cameras and I have rain machines outside and I have lightning and I have leather face with a like a gas powered chainsaw you know I have all these like little elements to coordinate and I'm in there and we're blocking you know trying to um, get these shots set up and trying to rehearse and then they would say all right we, we gotta I hadn't even shot yet and they were like we gotta clear the bus and sterilize it I'm like I'm you know, like I want to, I just want to shoot. Yeah. Um, so that was really the hard part. And obviously safety is first and that's great. Um, but you just never could get that flow um, because of the this constant stop start. How do you do then multiple, do you have multiple buses? Do you have to clean the blood off the bus? Do you just do one take? Like So we had one real bus that was the, the that we shot all the exteriors and it can drive around on the back lot. And I shot a lot in the front. There's the front section of that bus that was like a little bit descended. And then the, the, yeah, high, the yeah. back section, it was raised. Um, and so I shot a lot in the, the real bus in the front section. And then uh, we built a set for the, the back section on a stage. And that's where we sh shot the rest of it. And yeah. kind of just marrying the two, you know, because we would shoot, shoot them weeks apart sometimes. How many takes would it take on the stage though? Cause you, I'm guessing you would have to clean up. Like you can't have blood everywhere after. Just yeah. So I just, I mean, I was like, I planned it out so that I shot everything pre-blood, you know? And then once the blood was about to flow, I was like, all right, well, let's make sure we don't have any other shots because this thing's yeah. never going to get clean again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then once we started the mayhem of just spraying the blood, uh, yeah, then it was just, or we're, we're in the blood zone now. It's just always going to have blood and, and we're often just going and adding more blood and redressing things. Um, but yeah, the, the floor would get so thick with blood and, and slippery that we would, I'd have to send people in with mops to mop, clean that up. So people couldn't, wouldn't slip. I mean, you couldn't walk in there without falling. Yeah, that's uh, great. And it turned out so amazing though. That's such, that's going yeah. to be an icon iconic scene for ever you know yeah i think so um i, I wish i still wish i had more time you wish you had yeah, more I had a, 
yeah i had i had i had storyboards for more kills and more like stunts and things like that that i wish i could have done like i had this uh you know that i always thought that someone would try to punch leatherface i mean right now everyone, everyone's just kind of running away ah they're all scared and that makes sense but there's going to be one brave soul that's going to try to go and punch him yeah. i wanted this shot where he throws a punch but leatherface brings the saw up and the guy's fist goes through the saw <laughs> gets completely mangled uh but it was just, it's just you know you, you can say a shot like that right as a yeah. director but then the line producer is going to say like, Oh, that's going to cost $40,000, you know, and you're over budget. (laughs) So it's like, it's easy to be creative, but you're always having to bargain with shots and time and all sorts of things. So did you have any other kills that you wanted to, uh, you wanted to be in there, but you didn't get to. Well, yeah. Like this, the, the way that Catherine dies is pretty brutal. She's kind of sneaking out the window and then, he cuts her in half and she falls and her entrails kind of follow her. Um, it's a pretty brutal death, but originally I wanted a different shot where she tries to run past him and he holds a chainsaw out like a clothesline and she just accidentally runs through it. But her, her body falls, her torso falls and then her legs continue running like a chicken with its head cut off and, and make it out of the bus. i I love that yeah it's a little bit it's dark and it's you know it's dark humor kind of stuff but um, no that's i love that like i'm a they said it was too expensive you know yeah how much if you don't have to answer this if you can't but how much does it seem like the bus cost to make i don't to be honest i really don't know yeah Uh, yeah i wasn't like looking that shot is more than the budget of your first film yeah yeah easily that's and it's funny that I wanted to ask you about the kills and it's funny that you said you didn't even expect this being your second movie anything because in the the end of Teano the kills you have some like horror style kills Oh like, really? When the car runs over the guy's head Oh yeah 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 the, the guy it bounces like that's straight out of a horror movie and I was like watching it after it kind mm-hmm. of made me think, oh, does he want to do like horror kill? Like it made sense kind of to me. Yeah. And I mean, in Tejano, we couldn't get too creative with the kills because it's expensive. Yeah. So a lot of it is is happening off screen. You know, you don't you don't show the head popping. You just show the the bounce. But, but that still, bounce, uh, bounce yeah. tells you everything. Yeah. And the, the, the way we the way we got that bounce. The way we got that bounce is I had, I did a force perspective thing. I had the actor on the ground and I had the truck driving near him, uh, you know, but it was maybe two or three feet away from his head. There's a big difference. And we had it lined up and there was a big sandbag there. The truck just drove over the sandbag. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. Yeah. And then I just had the actor shake his legs. I was like, you got (laughs) to shake your legs. No. When you did that scene, did you have ideas of horror in your mind? Mm-mm. No, not really. That's so fun. <laughs> have you ever thought about that? Because when I saw that scene, it really did like blow my mind to watching the kills in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was like, oh, there is a through line because they're very yeah, two, I mean, two very different projects other than that. 
Yeah, I mean, I've never been, I'm not a gore hound. I've never been fascinated with kills and horror movies. Um, I mean, like like everyone, I, I find them effective and gruesome and stuff like that. But I've never obsessed over uh, making awesome kills. Uh, and Tejano, it just seemed like, you know, you needed something entertaining in the film. Um, but when I came onto this project and I, I knew of Fede Alvarez's, you know, Evil Dead, and I knew what I was getting into. And uh, I was like, all right, these kills got to be freaking awesome, man. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of them were in the script, you know, like the the whole arm break uh, where they they break the share, the deputy's arm and then they stab him in the neck. With the, <laughs> like that's all in the script. Like they came up with that. And I was like, that's a freaking great kill. And, um, you know, it just it just it gets the, the ball rolling on the film. You know what you're into. Mm -hmm. And but we we i got to add more kills to the to the script as well so like richter uh really great character when he gets in a fight with leatherface and he ends up you know dying uh, originally i think he was just going to get sliced by the piece of glass on the window and and bleed out but uh fede said okay now this guy needs to get brutalized like we need a few more things in there so i think they came up with the head smash yeah, um, Richter's head gets smashed, and then I came up with the leg, um, Richter's leg getting broken in half, or like, oh, hit from the yeah, 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 he gets hit on the knee, and then his leg uh, inverts or whatever, um, and uh, that we came up with a gag to do that. So, um, yeah, Richter gets pretty messed up. That's funny that you say you weren't a gore hound. Are you now, or was that just a moment in time you did that film, and now like? I mean, I think I, I, I don't want to make like the most gory movies in the world. That's not what I'm interested in. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, if you watch Tejano, I mean, he, he gets his arm broken on. on yeah. Screen. And you show what is that CGI? It was uh, what I had was I had the actor um, used. He was swinging a real wrench, but he was just yeah. stopping like a foot from the other actor. And then what we did is in, in VFX, we just took that wrench and we just made it go further, like a couple of frames. And then we took the arm and we just did a warp effect. Yeah. The warp arm effect. So, like, yeah. Yeah. So there was no 3D or CGI or anything. It was just simple tricks. But um, yeah. Yeah. I, I really like that. You but I'm not afraid of showing gore and gruesome stuff. I just, yeah, that's not what I'm that's not my end goal of making a movie. Like I really just want to tell, you know, this is such a cliche, but it's so true. I just want to tell really cool stories. I want to tell stories about people, common people that are um, become heroes, you know, have to face these great dangers. And that, yeah. that's the kind of stories I'm interested in. I'm not interested in telling the stories of heroes that are already powerful. I want to, I like people that are ascending to greatness or, or, or reaching deep within themselves to some primal place to like overcome some obstacle. Um, and that's the kind of stories I want to tell. What did you think your second movie, what did you want it to be? You said you never expected it to be this. I mean, to be, I don't even know what I was thinking. I, I made, I put so much of my energy into Tejano. And then when it came out, I didn't know what was going to happen. I just put it in the world and, was just living, continuing to live my life. I hadn't thought of what's next. Really? I didn't even after five yeah, years. I didn't, I didn't have another script or anything like that. I didn't want to do that again. 
I didn't want to bootstrap another movie together. So, yeah. yeah. How did that then? How did it doing like a major production compared to it? Compared to doing Tano? Yeah. I mean, in some ways it was easier. In some ways it was harder. Um, so Tejano was hard. Enjoy it more. The what? Did you enjoy it more? Like having? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I enjoyed it more because there's a certain satisfaction in making Tejano and just being with the small crew of people that you're all you're very close with and just making something together. And I didn't have at the at the beginning. I didn't have that camaraderie on Chainsaw. I didn't know anyone. I came in. I was the new kid at school, but then they made me teacher. Yeah. <laughs> kind of how it felt. Like I didn't know the actors. I had no rep- I no rapport with any of the crew. Um, I was able to bring in a DP from LA that I went to, went to film school with. So I had one friend, one known factor on set. Um, and, you know, he, together he and I kind of made the movie. But eventually I get to know everyone and develop relationships and stuff. But I think this there's something about not being able to prep a movie that makes you feel a little bit disconnected from it. Yeah. So it really just felt like a job. I was um, tasked every day with with solving problems, which that's what directing is, is problem solving. Yeah. And there were just a lot of problems, but they didn't feel like my problems because I didn't prep the movie. They felt like someone else's problems that I was working on. So, yeah. Cause I don't, I, I don't, I don't think that's enjoyable. No, you know. Yeah. yeah I don't I, mean to speak for you and thank you for talking to me about it. But like when I watch your interviews, it does seem like you're kind of like, all right, I want to talk about like my project, you know, like it, it does seem like that disconnect I feel. Well, I think it's just, just the nature but of it. It doesn't come out in the project. Trust me. Like I, I loved Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that's why I went back and watched Tejano and I loved that. Well, there's something nice about it because in a way, yeah, I didn't prep the movie. So you don't feel like it's yours. Like if I had prepped the movie, the sets would look different. The costumes would look different. Things would just be different because it's going through you going through me. Um, but I, we were, I still felt proud of what we did and the way we made the movie. Uh, a lot of it was made just on instinct. And if you think about it, if you go back to the original I think they made that movie on instinct too when you read about it because it was very low budget and it was very off the cuff. And um, that's how, I mean, that's how we'd made this one just with a lot more money, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And there were times where I would just, I'm just so used to operating the camera because I I came up as a, as a DP and um, I operated Tejano as well. I was the, the cinematographer and the camera operator. I just love being connected to the camera and that sort of dance that you get to do with the actors when you're handheld. And so there were so many times where I would just grab the camera on chainsaw and just go, go into the set and make the scene with the actors. That's um, awesome. I was, I was just right there because I felt so removed when I was sitting in video village. It just yeah. doesn't, doesn't feel right. You don't get to see the problems too. Like sometimes a shot's not working for some reason and you have no idea because you're, hundred yards away in a tent and all you see is the monitor you know you you can't see outside of the monitor but you just got to walk to set and you stand there and you look around and you see oh that's why this isn't working because 
there's a wall there and the camera can't move and you know whatever it's just some are, blocking or a lot problem. of directors dickheads like that <laughs> excuse my language but won't walk <laughs> to the set and watch it and will just like be like oh i'll sit here in my like on my on my throne yeah i don't have i mean so i worked in commercials a lot and there's always the commercial director who never leaves the video village um they just stay in there and you just hear them on a on a walkie and and they're just i feel like they're directing but they don't know what's happening on set so how can they make actual decisions you know yeah uh, and then the directors that i admire the most are they sit very close to the actors they sit next to the camera even if they're not operating like christopher nolan suppose he's always right next to the camera with his monitor he's always on set um and then my some of my favorite directors like ridley scott used to operate on his first movies he used to operate the camera and that's the kind of model that i'm i'm going for do you ever think why they picked you yeah why me uh i just feel like maybe uh he's cheap <laughs> you know we, we know he'll do it for cheap um and you know i think that they saw again they saw tejano they saw what i did for no money with a very small crew with um a short shooting schedule and um i think that they thought you know i, I had something that i could I yeah could tackle a bigger project yeah but that's that's also yes that is true and yes it's amazing to hear now the stories behind the two but also that's a pretty big pretty big reins to hand over you know yeah i could have i could have just frozen up and not yeah done, you know but they knew i had done commercials and i had dp'd smaller movies and stuff um so I, you know, horror I did, movies i was looking at your imdb i did do a horror movie yeah yeah um, a, a horror feature a number of years ago and it was like maybe 1.5 million um but i've been on set i mean i've been on it's funny you read comments online and people are like who the hell is this guy he's got no credits and he's never done anything and it's it's so silly because it's like i've been making movies since uh 1998 you know like, yeah like the greater part of my life and i've been on set for a lot for a long time you know so well you said luck before but isn't luck just being ready for the opportunity when it presents itself yeah, absolutely. That's, that's the great, that's a great saying. And, um, it definitely is, you know, and I've definitely been ready now. My credits don't necessarily show that I'm ready because you work on lots of projects or indie projects. They don't really go anywhere. They don't go on IMDb, but you still put that work in yeah. and you still, you're still on set. You're still learning, <clears throat> you know, even as a DP, it's a great place to learn to be a director because you're there with the director, you're often problem solving uh, the storytelling with the director. And uh, on the indie projects, depending on the style of the director, sometimes you're actually coming up with all the shots. Um, so in that way, you're doing all the directing except for talking to the actors. Um, and that's, that's my experience. Yeah. You know, so I've, in a way, I've directed many movies before I did my first two. Leaving the set leaving that putting that 
I, I do want to know about the whole, but like leaving that, you said leaving your first movie, you didn't know what you wanted to do. Do you have like a set of what you want to do next? Yes, I absolutely do now, <laughs> which is nice. Um, I did, I had been writing a film uh, before I got selected to do Texas Chainsaw. I was writing uh, and it was a sci-fi horror movie that I've, I've done many drafts on. Um, and after I finished Texas Chainsaw last year, it was the summer, I picked up that script again and I figured out, I figured out that I was approaching it from the wrong character. Like the, the world was the same, but I had the wrong protagonist. And I, I changed the protagonist and I came up with a different way into the story. And it, the movie just wrote itself. Like I wrote it in August. I, I kind of write in spurts. I'm not like a good, I'm not good at tackling it every day, like a real professional writer. Um, but <laughs> I did a spurt in August. I did a spurt in December and then in one in January. And I sold the script uh, this year. Oh, congratulations. And, yeah, thank you. And it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm attached as a director and I'm just kind of waiting. Uh, and writer, you wrote it and you, was this the fir first script you wrote? First script I wrote. Congratulations, man. That's yeah. dope as hell. First draft of that version that I I wrote, so um, pr feeling pretty good about about that record. Yeah. <laughs> Are you? Keeping, but um, I, I won't ask you about what it's about if you don't want to talk about it. I'm not allowed to, or you know, okay. they're trying to keep yeah. it under wraps. But I, I hope it gets greenlit. You know, um, it's you know it's in development and it's in sort of that weird purgatory right now. Um, yeah. So I decided to write more scripts, and I have two other scripts I'm writing right now. Um, one is actually doable. One is, a, you know, I could do it for under 10 million, maybe five. <laughs> so it'd be a good next movie. The other one's probably $50 million. So <laughs> five million is what you need for an indie film? Well, I mean, I'm just, to just get a movie made. Uh, like you know, five million is like probably the minimum. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I don't want to work less than that. I don't think I can. <laughs> yeah. hey you already did it you did it at it's too hard you know one percent of that <laughs> right well because a lot of that money just goes to insurance and actors and things like that it's not stuff you necessarily see on screen mm -hmm. so it sounds like a lot of money but it's not yeah. that much money yeah. all right so you did all post-production in tejano what was post-production in texas chainsaw did you do uh, anything like did you you didn't uh, did you after you finished shooting did you kind of oh yeah with it the director is there for every every step of the process yeah um, i worked with the editor chris cap we worked remotely i was in austin he was in la and we would get on a call much like this every day and just edit the movie yeah um and how does and it get i i heard it gets got sold to netflix it wasn't originally netflix mm -hmm. How does that work? Like compared to you selling your first movie to HBO? I think legendary was looking, hoping that they could do theatrical with this movie. But at the, at the time of us finishing it, they just still didn't feel super confident in the market theatrically. And they didn't feel, I don't believe um, that this IP had that kind of the legs to to do a big worldwide release. Um, they had Godzilla, they had Dune and other, other big movies, 
um, that they were releasing that year, but they just didn't think Chainsaw had that recognition. So I think streaming made more sense. Does how do and, you feel? What's your how do you feel about it? Do you think it? Could I mean, they, they may have been right. It would it would have been nice to come out theatrical. Um, but the thing is, if it had bombed, that makes that makes uh, you know the movie look worse, and it makes me look bad. Um, yeah. But because it came out on Netflix, a bunch of people saw it. I think it was 29 million hours viewed in the first weekend, um, which was a pretty big release for them. And uh, I just think more people probably saw it getting released on Netflix worldwide. So I think that's a good thing. How do you feel about streaming versus theatrical releases in general? Again, uh, you know, every filmmaker of a certain age thinks, <laughs> I mean, because I think younger people probably don't care. Yeah. Younger people grow up watching things on online. So um, they're, it's probably no difference to them. They like YouTube and stuff, but someone who grew up in the nineties, you know, we, we want to see our movies in theaters and, but then you look at the big filmmakers are releasing movies on streaming all the time. Yeah. So Do you think yeah. streaming is like ruining movies? Like they said, like, are you a fan of, are you not anti-streaming, but what's your, yeah, I mean, there's not, there's nothing, there's no beating going to a full theater and experiencing cinema with a group of people that a group of strangers you don't know so true yeah there's something infectious it's like it's a comedy like you can watch a bunch of youtube comedians or whatever like people talking but there's nothing like going to a club and being in the atmosphere and just laughing with a crowd because it's so much funnier the laughs are better the jokes are better um yeah. when you get you know that group together and so that's what we're missing is the community you know 100 percent. yeah so it's the same as comedy and there's always going to be both yeah there's always going to be both you um, said your new script is horror sci-fi are you now mm -hmm. like do you think your career path is going to go down the horror horror path yeah i'm actually writing two horror movies one is a uh, I would say more indie a24 horror type and then the other one the one i sold is I think a little getting into more James Cameron territory or like alien kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Aliens. Yeah. Um, or like a quiet place. Yeah. Right. So like monster horror. That's cool that you said a 24. Cause I love seeing those horror. I love seeing horror in theaters. That's like one of my mm -hmm. favorite things. Like, I mean, I have my X t-shirt on right now. Yeah. Uh, did you see uh, that's Pearl? like Texas Chainsaw Massacre too? <laughs> yeah, literally. Did you see X or Pearl? I have not yet. Do you? How do you? Do you? Did is it tough? Like enjoying movies or enjoying horror when you've made it? Like does it kind of ruin the uh, the fantasy behind it? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think a good movie will still carry me away. You know, if 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 I get sucked in. And I, I stopped thinking about the filmmaking techniques. I know it's a good movie, at least for me. Um, you know, and that and that's still possible. What was but the if I find myself if I just find myself watching the filmmaking techniques, I'm just I'm like I don't, I'm not in it. You know. Yeah. What was the last best movie you saw? You know, it's so funny. I I saw um, I started watching just on streaming that 13 lives i think it's 13 lives 
movie it's about the kid the vietnamese kids who were stuck in the cave or they're oh, sorry they're, yeah they were high mm-hmm. and they got stuck in the cave and then there were these divers that came and rescued them and i just started watching it i had no idea ron howard directed it um i had no idea colin farrell and vigo mortensen were in it i just started watching it and i was like pff, super captivated and i had to find out what happened <laughs> How do you feel on TV versus movies? Uh, I like movies. I think TV, obviously, can be done really well. But I always find myself watching TV and feeling like this is 60 minutes. of This is 20 minutes of story stretched out to 60 minutes. Mm. And they're just trying to get some view counts or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, with documentaries. Every documentary today is like four episodes of it. And it's like, this could be an hour and a half documentary. I don't need to hear about what the dude who wasn't even connected to it had for lunch. Like you don't need to make 20 yeah. minutes on that. Yeah. There's something I like about movies because you have that finite, finite amount of time and you got to be really efficient with your storytelling. Yeah. Um, and so but tv can just take its sweet time what's your perfect like view like minutes of a movie do you think there's a time like movies can be too short or too long oh yeah there's definitely movies that are too long and that's very common i mean sometimes you it's all about perception i mean you could watch a two and a half hour movie and if it's well paced you won't even notice Mm -hmm. um i have yet to make a movie longer than 90 minutes (laughs) Chainsaw is super short. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like 75 minutes of actual movie, you know? Oh, I had no idea about that. The really long credit sequence. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Are mad long nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, one day I'll make a movie longer than 90 minutes. And yeah. I'll, I'll be, I've made it. Never a TV show. I, I would make a TV show, maybe. Yeah. TV is tough though, because there's so many that there. It's very. It's hard for me to like watch a show. Like I'm watching Succession right now because everyone was talking. I about love that show. It. Yeah. It's yeah. so good, but I like. I didn't. I didn't want to watch it. You know, it's like, do I really want to put in ninety hours of my life because it's an hour? You know. That's the thing is when everyone when people recommend shows to me, I'm so cautious to actually watch it because. I could get sucked in and I'm like, man, is this really a good use of my time right now? How did you feel about the, how do you feel about the directing on succession as an actual filmmaker? I, I mean, I, I don't notice it. That's why I know it's good. Cause as a fan, it's so different to me than anything else. I mean, it's definitely, it's like a handheld documentary kind of style. But I don't, I don't notice it. I just, I, I'm, I'm cued into the actors and the story, and the storytelling is so good. That's um, cool. Yeah. How do you do you? This is you probably. Do you know who a rapper R.J. Payne is? Mm-mm. He does like he has so many like albums named after Leatherface and stuff. It's, oh, does he? Yeah, he has an uh, his newest album, which is honestly one of my favorites. I think it's called Leatherface Three or something. Favorite albums of the year uses a bunch of like sequences, like little like you know words from the movie and such. I just hadn't uh, knew words from the first movie. No, from yours. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to look that up. I'm gonna yeah, write it down. RJ Payne. He's an amazing rapper, but he's like obsessed with Texas Chainsaw. And so like when the new movie dropped, he made an album kind of like based off of it. 
Is it called Leatherface Three? I'm gonna find. I'll look it up right now because I wanna. I also wanna give him the uh, R.J. Payne. Yeah. Um. Oh, Blood on My Chainsaw. That's the name of the album. There's the album cover. I don't know if you can see it. Wow. Yeah. 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 It's. I just hadn't. I, I had to say because this is. Um, I love rap music. I have a lot of rappers on here, but I have everybody. I just wasn't sure if you had had heard of him. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm very curious how in a couple, you know, in a couple of years, will anyone remember this movie at all? Really? Um, that's how you feel about it? No, no. I'm just, I'm curious because a lot of movies come out and then they just, no one talks about them ever again or ever thinks about them again. And, I wonder if this movie has legs because it, it pissed a lot of people off on Twitter and it was very divisive, which was fun. And, and people talked about it for at least a month. So that's a long time in, in yeah. our current age. People don't, people forget about stuff very quickly. Why um, was so, it divisive? Uh, I don't know. I mean, people, a lot of people hated the story and um, just didn't like the movie at all. And some people yeah. thought, some people saw saw it differently and saw it as a fun ride. Some people saw that there was more depth in the story um, than most people took away from it. So, you know, it's a, that's just, I, I don't use Twitter, <laughs> but I loved the movie and I, it's funny. Everyone I really talked to, like when I was telling people that I was talking to you today, everyone was so excited because at least among my peers, it's a, uh, it's an enjoyable movie. I mean, to go back to the bus scene, which that's not the only great scene. There's a lot, but just no one I think has dealt with how people in social media deal with a killer like mm -hmm. that. That's never been dealt with well before is like, Oh no, you can record him and put him live on Instagram. And he's still leather. You know what I mean? That's never been dealt with well in a movie before. Yeah. And so that wasn't in the script. And that was one of the first things I literally said in one of my first meetings on the movie, or I was still in quarantine in my hotel in Bulgaria. And I had a zoom screen with about 50 people on it, all in masks. And I said, why am I even seeing these? I don't know who these people are. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, I'm telling them the, the changes I want to make to the script. And I said, one of the first things I said was, all right, bus scene. We need cell phones. Everyone's got to have cell phones. And then I, and I described it. I was like, and, and when he comes on the bus, what do people do? They all going to start filming him because that's what people do now when there's uh, when there's a bear or there's a mountain lion or there's a killer or the guy with a gun, everyone just starts filming it, but they, they don't, they're not scared. They don't leave the situation. They stay there and they keep filming, even though they're in danger. And that's the best part about our modern society it's so bizarre <laughs> like, that's amazing that you came in with that idea that cell phones weren't even part of that scene because that makes that scene like that. cell phones cell phones were a part of the scene but not in that way yeah not going live on instagram like right i added the live and a lot of people hated that they were like oh he's going live it's so stupid whatever but it's like what do you i mean that's exactly what would happen that's and, how people would deal with it yeah and uh Anyway, so yeah, I added that stuff. I did. I did write the line, the notorious line: uh, "Try anything and you're canceled, bro." 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, and people, that was one of the lines that people were like, all right, that's the worst, uh, you know, the worst line I've ever heard in a movie. No, all this kind of. no, it's great. And I'm like, you know what? It's, it's supposed to be a little, it's supposed to be kind of stupid. You know, it's like, yeah. it's making fun of woke culture. Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah. And also you can't cancel Leatherface, man. That guy doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Well, there was like an open-ended ending. There wasn't. There isn't a sequel planned. You're as you as I can probably tell from this conversation. Oh, I mean, there's. I mean, they're gonna make another movie. Yeah, but not. Someone, yeah, not. Someone's gonna make another movie with the Tesla driving away. You know, not a sequel. I don't. I don't know. If, I don't know if the rest of this tale needs to be told. <laughs> I think if another movie is made, it'll be you know different characters, and maybe it could also just be a different place in the timeline. Yeah. You know, there's you could just jump anywhere in the decades yeah. um, that Leatherface has been hiding and tell a, a one-off story. Yeah. Know? How did you feel about Prey? Did you watch that? I loved it. Yeah, it's really good. I really like that too. And I like the idea. I know everybody talks about it now, so I'm not trying to be like cliche, but it is cool. The idea of these like characters in completely different times. And that's exactly the kind of movie I want to make is a, is a movie like Prey. It's just like, you know, it's great. Yeah, man. Thank you for doing this. This was an awesome yeah. conversation. I really appreciate your time and uh, everything you do. Oh yeah, dude. I appreciate you having me on. This has been fun. Yeah, this has been wicked fun. And maybe when I'm in Austin, we uh, we meet up in person. Yes, send me an email. I definitely will. It was great meeting you, man. Thank you for coming All right. on. All right, thank you. Bye. 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 Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 ye